Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick an area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM sports account to get started. Then visit your promotions section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. There's nothing more exciting than going yard with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park. I'm going out with the girls this weekend. Nails, done. Outfit, stunner. And my skin, I know it's going to be glowing because I glammed up my shower routine with new Olay Indulgent Moisture Body Wash. It smells so luxurious and deeply moisturizes with its super rich, creamy lather that's bursting with vitamin B3 complex. So my skin glows and my confidence grows. Try new Olay Indulgent Moisture Body Wash for glowing skin in just 14 days. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com consulting. IBM. Let's create. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at HighFiveCasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at HighTheNumber5Casino.com. High Five Casino. This is It Could Happen Here, a podcast that is often and today about state and paramilitary violence. And we're back with part two of our interview with Alexander Avina about the state and paramilitary violence and the cartels in Mexico. The immediate thing I was thinking about this was it, it reminds me a lot of uh, some stuff I read a while back about like smuggling people over the border and about how the, the American militarization of that like destroyed because it used to like as as the u.s tries to like make the border more and more unsafe it becomes harder and harder and it means that like the people who can actually do it like you know you you need to have access to more resources and more like technical capability and that sort of like and that that also in a lot of ways helped the cartels because you know well it's like okay so who, who actually has a bunch of organizational expertise with smuggling routes and a lot of money and it's it's and i think that's like it's it's an interesting way of looking at what the, the the national application of state power in these like does which is that like it it, it 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 seems almost like what's happening is that so when when you get these massive exertions of state power it's not that they like flatten like you know it's not that they just sort of like wipe out our resistance what they do is they 
yeah, it's what, what you were saying is like they, they they centralize the drug trip, but they also they centralize the sort of violent apparatuses, and it means that yeah, like yeah, if 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 you're going to survive that, you have to be like incredibly efficient and incredibly violent, and you have to also sort of start like you 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 have to start playing with it, like playing by the rules of the state of exception, which yeah. is you know, and and that's that's like how I guess the the violence level and the organizational centralization happens. Yeah, I think this right. Yeah, no, I think you're. I think you're right, and I think it's also becomes part of the. To add, I mean, so to add, you know, fuel to the fire even more so. It's it's become a strategy of like the DEA, and 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 counter narcotics forces in Mexico to, to do what you just described, but then also to sow dissension amongst the different drug trafficking organizations, right? So, um, that then also increases the violence, right? So if you can get you know, it, it was it was pretty well known that El Chapo, for instance, the the leader of the Sinaloa cartel until recent, well, let's not say leader, one of the most prominent traffickers of the Sinaloa cartel until recently, like he was giving up people, he was giving information on rivals to the DEA and to other or other um, counter narcotics forces, right? And that's part of the strategy. The strategy is to fragment these groups, um, and that only increases the violence. And it, and and you see that violence at the very localized level. Um, and this is what Guerrero is suffering from right now, right? Guerrero for a long time was under the control of one single drug trafficking organization slash family from the state of Sinaloa, the, the Beltran Leivas, right? They used, they were originally aligned with, they're actually cousins with El Chapo Guzman's family. They had a falling out in the mid 2000s and they, and they went to war and that had disastrous consequences for the people of Guerrero because it fragmented uh, the drug trafficking organizations and it forced different local groups to take sides. Um, and and I, that's kind of how I end the article that, that you're referencing, right? Um, where different local groups start to take sides and that increases the, the, the level of violence at the local level and, and, and communities suffer greatly. Um, and that's also a consequence of like the kingpin strategy, right? Like this idea that if you take down the, the perceived leader of a drug trafficking organization, that's somehow going to have an impact on drug production. Yeah. No, what actually happens is that it fragments the organization and it creates more violence at the local level well, at the same time, it gives a chance to like ex-DEA agents to go on like, you know, national media and be like, oh, yes, the capture of El Chapo is going to have a great impact yeah. on the drug trade. No, it will not. Like it yeah, just and, increases and, the violence. And, and I think that the, the thing that, that that's very clear from this article, and I think it's clear if you, you know, if you look at the drug trade is it's like, no, it, it, it's, it's, it's largely economic stuff. And like one of the things you're talking about is, is you know, is that these peasants who are the people who have been able to hold on to the collective land basically – get forced by the lamb bakes to like produce sesame and it's like they can't make any money off of it and i i i don't i don't know how directly it, it looked to me a lot like like that was directly one of the things that starts to to lead to the shift of the drug trade there because you have all these people locked into this crop that like just can't support them yeah yeah and it's it's just a, the bigger story there is is really the failure of the the post-revolutionary mexican state to um, to really help spur agricultural production at the level of, of these small holding peasants and, mm -hmm. and these rural communities that are these ejidos who have received land from the Mexican state. Um, if anything, most of the state subsidies and the state uh, structure, state support for agriculture from the 40s you know, up until the 80s, that was all directed to big agro businesses uh, that were producing export crops in places like Sinaloa, right? They're producing winter crops for the American market or winter fruit for the American market, right? So in the absence of like meaningful state support for small holding agriculture, that small holding agriculture sector that is meant to feed Mexico, um, 
you know, some of these these farmers in a place like Coyuca de Catalan, they'll say, okay, well, we, we're growing this thing that the, the agricultural bank is telling us to grow sesame, but we're not making a lot of money off of it. But on the other hand, by the late 60s, they see that marijuana production is, is really increasing due to American demand. If I can do both things, you know, I'm going to make a lot of money and, and I'm going to allow my family to make a, a pretty good living while staying in the countryside, while not having to migrate to Mexico City or while not having to migrate to these agricultural fields in northern Mexico or even into the United States. So because it's a like really rational economic response to, to, to a broader macroeconomic situation that has put them in that position. The, and, and, and you still see this to this day, right? These, these small farmers, they, they still own their land. They'll grow certain crops on it, and it almost serves as a shield for, um, you know, the opium poppies that they're growing on the same plot of land, mm-hmm. but in a part that's a little, you know, harder to access and it's a little bit more hidden, right? Um, but it's 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 trying to find a way at a bottom to make a, a, a dignified, you know, how to make a life of dignity for your family when you're living in a, in the countryside, when you're living in a place like Coyuca de Catalan in Guerrero, and and then you see that uh, you know the gringos are going crazy over Acapulco Gold. In the late '60s, um, and you have uh, you know North you know, Gringo traffickers coming into Guerrero with new seeds, um, or you have Sinaloenses coming into your state saying, you know, grow these mar- here are some marijuana seeds, grow that strain, um, you know, and, and they can buy off you know local politicians and soldiers and, and, and police. That's that's one of the ways that you get the emergence of, of industrial proportion uh, production of marijuana and, and opium poppies in Guerrero in the '60s and, and '70s, and again. At the same time that this massive dirty war is being waged against two different peasant guerrilla movements, right? So it's like a really messy, like social matrix uh, that's occurring at the same time. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick an area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM sports account to get started. Then visit your promotions section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. There's nothing more exciting than going yard with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance, helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. Learn more at ibm.com governance. IBM, let's create. Father's Day is coming, a day we celebrate the guy who's always there for us to crack a dad joke. Well, you know what's not a dad joke? Getting $50 off the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker with the purchase of his favorite cocktail capsule pack. $50 off. No dad joke. See, this is a dad joke. I lost my glasses today, and guess who I bumped into? Everyone. 
But the Bartesian cocktail maker, it's no joke. Each cocktail capsule contains real fruit juices and all natural bitters, so dad can make over 60 premium cocktails he loves. Sidecars, old fashions, gimlets, all with the push of a button. So, for the dad who loves a cocktail with friends and a good joke from time to time, get the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. $50 off now until Father's Day. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash father to get 50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. High Five Casino. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at highfivecasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at HighTheNumber5Casino.com. High Five Casino. I guess one other thing I wanted to talk about was about how the political parties sort of work into this because I guess like my, my experience with this, this sort of like the, the, the kind of like narco state fusions with like 20s and 30s China and there it's like like you're, you're I don't know I mean the, 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 the communists have an actual independent political base outside of like like the Green Gang but like the KMT it's like like this is basically just a like like this like this is this is just like a narco organization with like a flag planted on it and i'm i'm wondering how like on, on on what end of the scale we're working with with the pri and also also like with with the other mexican parties cuz it seems like there are like parts of like a functional state app like a a party state apparatus or like a party apparatus and then parts of it that are just like this is a cartel yeah, it's it, that's a huge question. It's it's um, yes. Yeah, I've really resisted. No, 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 it's all good. I've I've stopped understanding this within the framework of like a narco state, right? Because to to think about a narco state, you really have to think about how a state was captured by these drug trafficking organizations. And and I historically and currently, I don't think that describes what's what's happening in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what you what, and again, it goes back to the question of what is the state, right? Like that question is yeah, going to drive yeah. me ins- like. Just, just gonna, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna be thinking about this decades down the yeah. road, right? But because you have, you know, you have, it, it depends on what part of the Mexican state you're also referring to, right? So if we're yeah. talking about the military, the military has all segments of the military have always had an important role to play in the production and trafficking of of narcotics from Mexico into the U.S. from the from like the 1910s, right? The military governor of Baja California, this guy by the name of Colo- uh, Colonel Esteban Cantu. He was helping uh, traffic uh, opium um, into the United States during the Mexican Revolution, right? And this has been a constant, right? Yeah. Um, the guys that I talk about in my article, this guy um, who ends up, he le- he's a general by the time he's, he's arrested in, in 2002. But this guy, Mario Acosta Chaparro, he was like the main counterinsurgent theorist and, 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 and um, bright mind of the Mexican military that gets sent to Guerrero in the 70s to wipe out these different guerrilla movements. But he's, after they wipe out the guerrilla movements, he stays on. He serves as, as a kind of like the leader of the state police forces. And what does he start to do? He starts to buy up land, allegedly, that will start <laughs> producing opium poppies and marijuana. And this guy from the late 70s up until he's arrested in 2000, 
it's pretty clear that had, he had been collaborating with different narco-trafficking organizations. He gets arrested by his own military um, in 2000 because he, it was pretty clear that he had been protecting and collaborating with the Ciudad Juarez cartel and Amado Carrillo Fuentes. Um, so, you know, one of these like anti, anti-guerrilla, anti-narco narcos that will, you know, actually get, go to jail for about six years um, because it was pretty apparent that he had been for a long time collaborating and protecting the different narco-trafficking organizations, right? So that's the military. Then you have like the, the, the secret police that gets formed in Mexico, the DFS in 1947, with the help of the FBI. Um, the DFS becomes like this political police that the Mexican president can use to tamp down on political dissent. They're the ones, you know, spying, surveillance. By the 60s and 70s, they're also torturing, disappearing. And with that level of impunity and power, they also get into the drug game by the 70s and 80s. Um, you have the federal judicial police. They're the ones who control for this during this 50s, 60s, and 70s, really. They're the ones who are controlling um, the kickbacks that they're receiving from narco traffickers until the military moves in, in the 70s and takes over for them. Right. So the, the repressive apparatuses within the Mexican state of the 20th century play a really key role, if not the role, in helping foster create this, this political economy of narcotics. Now, how do, how do we view that in relation to the PRI, right? The, the, the party that emerges from the Mexican Revolution, the party that will rule Mexico, generally we'll say from the late 20s up until the year 2000. Well, you have pretty important you know, political officials within the party throughout the 20th century that are directly linked to narco traffickers and directly linked to military officials who are obviously involved in the game as well. But at no level can we say it's a narco state because the narcos haven't captured the state. It's actually the other way around. It's the Mexican post-revolutionary state that's trying to get its hands around this thing that's growing within its own confines and, 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 by, and they lose control of it. Like by the late 80s and 90s, they've effectively lost control of this thing. And that's when you see the rise of, of these um, highly centralized drug trafficking organizations like the Ciudad Juarez cartel that's making a ton of money off of cocaine. So I, I guess it seems like it's, it's almost like you're dealing with uh, from 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 the the very very local level where you have these sort of landed elites and their gunslingers. It's like it, it's this almost sort of like like miniaturized fractal version of the state, where it's like you're, you're getting these like in, in, very very small sort of like uh you know like almost like feudal domains, and they sort of expand upwards and extend upwards. But yeah, and I, I guess the interesting part to me is is how like the paramilitary dynamics of that and how how the power of these sort of land at least and the power of the like how how it's like like the 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 power like the the use of power from the top seems to strengthen them where yeah. you know if if you're looking at this from like like how how this is supposed to work in theory if you're someone who actually is like trying to eliminate the drug trade you'd think it'd be the other way around that like the application of power would shatter but it, it sort of doesn't. It, it it causes these like these these buildups of these apparatuses, and then they fragment and they rebuild again. But it's you're not ever actually dealing with these sort of like micro state like yeah yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. And if anything, the paramilitarization is also like a like a long. It's a process, right? Mm -hmm. So like the first. If we can use this term, the first paramilitaries were were used to wipe out agrarian reform-minded campesinos in the 30s and 40s. Um, but you don't really have like a paramilitarization of, of of the drug trade in Mexico to a certain extent because you had the military and the police to do your dirty yeah. work, right? If you're a nautical. 
Um, that's a more recent phenomenon that you start to see in the 90s and especially in the 2000s. So, right, the, the case that everyone points to are these um, the elite of the elite in the Mexican military, the the Gafes. These guys are like the the, the Navy SEALs or the Special Force, you know, the, the Army Rangers, of the Mexican military. Uh, a bunch of these guys in the mid to late 90s decide, you know what, we don't want to work for the Mexican military. We're just gonna uh, we're gonna desert and we're gonna go hire ourselves out to the Gulf Cartel. And, and they become really the first like paramilitary wing of a major drug trafficking organization. And these are guys, some of which probably most likely were trained at school, the Americas or received American specialized training yep. now switching sides and, and, and protecting a, a pretty powerful drug trafficking organization. Like at the time in the nineties, that was the Gulf cartel. And these are the infamous setas, right? These are the Z's. Um, they're called the setas because that was like their military code. There was always a Z in front of a number. Um, so Z1 was kind of like the leader, the first guy who took 12 or 13 guys with him to desert. And they hired themselves out to this drug trafficking organization. And they become like the paramilitary unit. The rest of the group see that and they're like, oh, shit, like we got to catch up. <laughs> right. Because these like yeah. and these guys, the Gafis, you know, they have ex counterinsurgency experience. You know, they were the ones who were fighting against the Zapatistas in Chiapas in the early 90s. Right. They were the ones that they were oh, sending to. Oh, yeah. They were the ones who were fighting against the new cycle of guerrillas that emerged in Guerrero in the mid 90s, the EPR. And then when they're used for counter narcotics operations, they look at the situation. They say, you know what? We're not going to fight on the side of the military. We're going to hire ourselves out to these, this Gulf cartel. Where we're going to make a ton of money. Um, but they have a lot of skills. Right. So the rest of the so the rest of the drug trafficking organizations see that and they're like, we got to play catch up. And, 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 and you see the paramilitarization of this conflict. And, and in certain parts, that's what's driving, um, I, I think, has, has played a really big role in driving some of the, the bloodshed and violence that we've seen in Mexico, particularly since 2006, right? where we can speak of probably 400,000 homicides since 2006, at least 100,000 disappearances. Um, a lot of that has to do with you know, the people who are fighting are, are paramilitaries, right? They're receiving training from... Colombian military advisors. They're receiving training from Israeli uh, military officials. They're receiving training from um, uh, Guatemalan special forces. These guys called the Caiviles who committed some of the worst atrocities during the Guatemalan conflict of the, of the, of the 70s and 80s. Um, my family's from Michoacan, which is a state north of Guerrero. And I remember when you know, probably 2005, six or seven, I was down there doing research and visiting family. And they reported on the arrest of two Guatemalans and two Colombians in this random uh, far off part of Michoacan. You're like, what were these two Colombians and two Guatemalans doing there? Well, they were most likely like special ex-special forces in those countries' militaries who had been hired by local uh, organizations to train their, their, their soldiers, to train their, their paramilitaries. Um, so that, that's, I think, uh, that has driven a lot of the violence, right? And you see it, it's in terms of the techniques they use, the weapons, the armament, the the logics of of how to take down their enemies. Yeah, I remember I read an article like, okay, I've literally lost all sense of time. I, I think it was like mid last year about a cartel just basically running a military operation, just shutting like just shutting down a city. Um, I'm, I'm God. I really wish I. Yeah, that was pre pandemic. That was yeah, when, that um, was pre pandemic. Oh my God. Yeah, I remember because I was on the, the day and the day after it happened. I, I think I spent way too much time on Twitter talking shit to people. Um, that was when I think you're referring to when the uh, uh, detachment from the Mexican military um, 
in the city of Culiacán, which is the capital of Sinaloa, Culiacán is seen as like, if Sinaloa is the cradle of the Mexican drug trade, then like Culiacán is the capital of it, right? Um, I think I think you're referring to when a, a Mexican military detachment tried to arrest one of the yeah, sons of a chapel, yeah. right? And they actually found him, they localized him, they located him and they tried to arrest him. And like the hills just came down on the city of Culiacán and you had hundreds of of narcos or, or paramilitaries who came down and essentially forced um, forced the military and the state to hand over El Chapo's son to them. And and for and the reason why I was like, uh, you know, spent way too much time on social media going after people is because people said, oh, this is an example of a failed state. Oh, look at the new president of Mexico, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. He's lost control of the, uh, of the state. Like he's kowtowing to narcos. And it was much more complicated than that. And something similar had already happened um, in the previous administration where these different, like, particularly in the city of, of Guadalajara, where they even shot down a military helicopter, a police helicopter. And they, and they essentially um, shut down the entire city because one of their leaders had been captured. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick an area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM sports account to get started. Then visit your promotions section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. There's nothing more exciting than going yard with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance, helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. Learn more at ibm.com governance. IBM, let's create. Father's Day is coming, a day we celebrate the guy who's always there for us to crack a dad joke. Well, you know what's not a dad joke? Getting $50 off the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker with the purchase of his favorite cocktail capsule pack. $50 off. No dad joke. See, this is a dad joke. I lost my glasses today, and guess who I bumped into? Everyone. But the Bartesian Cocktail Maker? It's no joke. Each cocktail capsule contains real fruit juices and all-natural bitters, so Dad can make over 60 premium cocktails he loves. Sidecars, old fashions, gimlets, all with the push of a button. So, for the dad who loves a cocktail with friends and a good joke from time to time, get the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker. $50 off now until Father's Day. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash father to get 50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. Welcome to Burger Yippee. Would you like a hot apple 
pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won! Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing High Five Casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Whoa! <laughs> I won again! I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your High Five moment today? Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. Okay, so one of one of one of the things you one of the things you talk about at the end of the article is about these this environmentalist group that gets like they 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 all get arrested while like their their lawyer gets killed after he starts talking about like connections between business owners and the party and the narco trade. So I guess like what what do you how do you sort of like like how how do you leftist movements sort of navigate this space because you have it seems like you have on the one hand you know, you, you you have all these paramilitaries, and then you also have a state that is, like, incredibly violently hostile to you. And I guess, I don't know, like, I, 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 I guess you sort of have the Zapatista model of this combination of sort of, like, armed struggle and social pressure. But I guess, like, how how, how do people navigate this sort of, like, it seems like a, like a really yeah. disastrous, like, yeah. place to be trying to do leftist politics in. Yeah, it's it's really difficult, right? And I think that's again going back to the, the the thesis that the war on drugs is actually a war on poor people. It's um, you know leftist movements, dissident movements in Mexico have to. Well, for one, I'll say this: in a place like Guerrero, it's these movements that have provided, I think, the the most accurate like X-ray analysis of what the state is at the local level, right? So. Um, this this guerrilla leader that I talk about in the article, Comandante Ramiro, who who was around in the late you know 2007, 2008, 2009, like based on his travels in the mountains of Guerrero and kind of like the the actions that he was engaged in, for him it was very clear that the military was collaborating with all narco trafficking organizations, not just the one, not just like the most powerful one, right? So at the national level, there was a lot of discourse of well, this drug trafficking organization is going at it with this one. In a place like Guerrero, this guerrilla leader looks at the situation. He's like, actually, they're all working together. And not only that, but they have the police and the military. And what are they doing? They are um, going after poor communities up in the mountains who don't want to grow opium poppies or who want to organize uh, a different way, an alternative model of, of, of living, of social reproduction. Um, what they'll say is, you know, uh, uh, the what the military is doing in terms of drug interdiction is they'll only go and 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 burn some opium poppy fields and not others. And that's because the owner of that opium poppy field that they burned didn't pay up. Um, so, you know, now current movements in Guerrero, particularly indigenous movements in Guerrero, there's a recent report that, a, that a, an indigenous group just put out and they're linked to the Congreso, Congreso Nacional Indigen, the CNI, I can't remember uh, the, the acronym, um, where they talk about uh, a criminal state existing in, in the in the part of Guerrero that is known as La Montaña, which is a heavily indigenous area on the border, on the eastern part of the state. And what they say is what we see here is a, a, an alliance between narcos, um, political parties, uh, military detachments, and transnational corporations. Um, and, so, and, and in Guerrero, those transnational corporations are usually have something to do with mining, and they're usually Canadian. Um, so how do you navigate that? Like that is like like the the correlation of forces, if we want to use that kind of terminology, like from a perspective of a of a group that that wants to resist this, 
it's, it's, it's damn near impossible, right? Like you have everything going against you. And yet in Guerrero, people are still resisting, right? You have the students of Ayotzinapa, they're still protesting, they're still organizing, even after the disappearance of their 43 comrades back in September of 2014. And we still don't have a clear answer as to what happened. Um, you still have, you know, you have the model of, of autonomy that like that, that certain indigenous communities like the community in Cheran and Michoacan have, have practiced, which is essentially they kick out all political parties, they kick out all police officers, and they self-organize at the communal level, uh, almost like a community police force. And you see that in Guerrero as well. There's all, you know, there's, there's challenges with that. There's a, yeah. that usually brings on a lot of violence and, and the people of Cheran have really suffered for, for trying to go this, for trying to protect themselves, right? They've, they've suffered a lot of casualties. Um, and there you have a, a, uh, this combination of like narcos and illegal uh, logging, right? And, and so the community there on the one hand is trying to protect their ecology, but they're also trying to defend themselves from narcos who have taken over local political parties and they don't want them in their, in their town. In Guerrero, you have community police forces and you've had them since the 1980s and 1990s, um, but that's raised a, a, a lot of issues in terms of you know, what happens when one community police force gets co-opted or, or co-opted or corrupted by a political party or by even a narco. And then that, that group is used to hit against other community groups who are, who are still trying to organize for, for, for a radical alternative. So it's, 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 on one level, it's really depressing, right? Because everything is stacked against groups and communities and organizations in a place like Guerrero who want a better world, who want to create a better world. But in the longer scope of Guerrero's history, they still resist. They still resist. And, and to me, that's one of the things that fascinates me about this place and about its people, about its communities that the odds have always been stacked against them. And nonetheless, they still resist. They still try to, um, uh, against overwhelming odds, they still try to carve out a better, uh, more just, more dignified existence for them and for their communities, even at great risk, you know, uh, uh, for their well-being. And they're willing to risk everything. So they're still there. They're still there, even though the, the forces that they're facing are, are extremely powerful. Yeah, I think that's a surprisingly hopeful note to end on, which is that, yeah, it's even in like, you know, places with just incredible concentrations of violence and different kinds of sort of power against you that people, people, well, people continue to fight. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's one of the lessons that we definitely get from a place like Guerrero um, or a place like Chiapas, right? With the, with the Zapatistas yeah. who are still there who have still managed to, re I mean, they've managed to reproduce themselves generationally, which is really difficult for an armed um, uh, uh, insurrectionary group, right? Like they've managed to do that and, 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 and to carve out at great cost as well, right? They're currently yeah. right now suffering, they've been suffering for, for more than a decade, a low intensity warfare that's been waged by the military and their paramilitaries. Yeah. Uh, but they're still there with their example, right? And, and I think part of the power of them and the people in Guerrero is, is their example alone is threatening to power, to the powers that be. And, and that's why that there's always an effort to exterminate them. So just by virtue of surviving and, and, and defending themselves, um, that's like a small, it seems like a small thing, but, but they're providing an alternative. And I think yeah. that's where their, their example is really important. And, and I, I, th I think, I think there is, I think there's a real argument that 
the whole sort of the, the whole sort of anti-globalization like that wave of struggle like is something that was kicked off by the Zapatistas and not, like and not just on the sort of like they were the first people to go into revolt but it's like I mean explicitly like the, the, the way they brought you know I mean like social movements from across the world together and the way they you know the way that they like had they got the way they got people talking the way they had people training each other the techniques and the sort of ideas that they were changing that they like like they they, they set off like a wave of, of revolt that lasted for like i don't know if you started in like 1999 and like the end of it's like 2006 yes yeah it was, it was incredible yeah, yeah no they i think they they're and even if you want to go this might take us off topic a little bit right but like scholars who focus on like venezuela would say actually the first one was the caracaso right in, in the late 80s when you have a popular rebellion and Caracas, Venezuela, against neoliberalism, against yeah. neoliberal austerity measures, right? And then, so I've had that. I, I've had a, a yeah. of, you know, talks with friends. I'll be like, "Yeah, the Zapatistas were the first ones." They're like, "No, no, 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 no." It started in Caracas in 1989, I think, as the Caracaso. But yeah, no, I think their their global example continues to be a, a really powerful one for me personally. It's like I still remember my parents had my parents are, are migrants from Mexico. They had this this big satellite dish in our backyard, so we can beam in. Uh, you know, TV stations from Mexico. And I remember January 1st, 1994, we woke up, right, groggily uh, <laughs> celebrate New Year's and my parents turned on the TV to see Mexico City News and there was Marcos, right? And there were the Zapatistas. Um, and there were then the Mexican politicians saying, no, don't believe what, don't believe your eyes. This isn't, you had a guy, I remember you had a guy go on TV, I think, saying something like, this is not an indigenous movement because if it was an indigenous movement, they would be using machetes, not rifles, like something really <laughs> condescending, like Jesus. the level of racist condescension yeah. that came out of Mexican politicians in, 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 in response to this movement yeah. um, was, was super high. Right. But I, I remember I was in junior high and I remember seeing it and I'm just like, there has to be something wrong for these people to do this. Right. And that yeah. just led me to want to do more research and to do more reading. And, and that I think is really powerful. And I think, it, I, I still think it's really powerful. So the more we can get the word out about these movements in, in Guerrero and Chiapas and in other parts of Latin America, I think, I think it's still really important. And I think, especially today, we really, we do need a bit more hope in these yeah. dark pandemic times. Yeah. I was trying to figure out a, a speaking of hope segue and I couldn't, I couldn't quite get it. <laughs> but uh, uh, do, do you, do you have anything that you want to plug? Uh, where can people find you? Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for, for having me on. This was, this yeah. was a lot of fun. Um, you can find me on, oh God, like you can find me on Twitter. I think the pandemic, my Twitter consumption has really gone up. It's been <laughs> awful, but you can find me at, at Alexander underscore Avina. Yeah. Um, something I want to plug. No, I think if, if you go on my Twitter page, you'll see, you, you'll be able to get the link to the, to the article that we've been talking today um, about, about the drug from Dirty War to Drug War in, in Guerrero. Um, I recently published a book review of, of this really fascinating book on the, the connection between the Israeli arms industry and like Cold War Latin America. So you can find that on my page. Uh, but yeah, it's, I don't really have anything else to plug. <laughs> Whenever well, I finish this damn book on Dirty War and Drug Wars, uh, have me back on and I'll yeah, have definitely. something tangible to, to plug. But right now it's just short little articles. Well, thank thank you again for coming on the show. Um, yeah, this this is this has been naked happen here. You can find us in the usual places. If you want to venture on social media for some reason, please don't. It's it's a bad place. <laughs> but 
yeah, thank you and goodbye, everyone. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. I won! Yahoo! Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sarge, High Five Casino is a social casino. It's on your phone. goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. I won again. Platoon, present cell phone. High Five. High Five. Casino. Casino. Win at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. Happy Pride. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. I'm here to tell you about Lambda Legal. For more than 50 years, Lambda Legal has been in court protecting the civil rights of LGBTQ plus people and everyone living with HIV. And the good news is you can help. Support Lambda Legal's work by donating this Pride Month. Throughout June, all donations up to $100,000 will be matched. To donate, go to lambdalegal.org. That's L-A-M-B-D-A legal.org. Help Lambda Legal remain unstoppable. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. NFLShop.com is your one-stop shop for officially licensed NFL gear to rep your favorite team. Check out the latest arrivals of jerseys, t-shirts, and much more. You'll find everything you need for a winning season with the best selection of NFL gear you'll find anywhere. Assemble your fan uniform for cheering on your team everywhere from the stadium to your couch. Shop an unbeatable selection of gear to showcase your team pride and style. To shop now, go to NFLShop.com.